0: Uh, Ecclesiastes ten. We are still in the proverbs section, uh, where Solomon is being the teacher or the preacher. He's called both, and he's shifting his thoughts. He's been in that exploratory stage we talked about in the early part, and he's giving us advice now. So we're kind of in the advice section, you know, building up to the conclusion of the matter. And that's our memory verse. We say that you know, here's the conclusion of the matter. and so we 're building towards that, and he 's giving us advice for living life on this earth and it 's good practical advice um, last week, you know uh, it was very practical, it seems like it stepped on all of our toes, or at least uh, stepped in an arena that we all know about you know, some of the frustrations of life, you know the frustration how this world likes to to, to honor it seems like the stupid things you know and, and honor the lazy people and, and the ones that are hard worker it keeps down you know just that kind of that frustration you know and I think that you know, Solomon is seeing all these things and it's making him change his thinking uh, to about a warning. You know, uh, a warning on how to live under the sun and then while he's, while he's trying to warn us on how to live under the sun, he begins to shift and think about, you can't have your best life under the sun. I got to warn about eternity. And so here he's been out with the idea that there is no eternity and there is no God. And he's coming to the conclusion that there is eternity and there is a God. And so we're in this shifting part here. Um, and I think, you know, that, Weird things in the world and the frustrating things in the world are what are drawing him. That helps him to conclude that there must be more. You know, if life is just survival and then you die, don't you feel gypped? You know, it's like you just, oh, we just crashed and clawed and we tried to get through and it was never a point and you just die? that That's the end of it? I don't feel gypped. Is, is the meaning of life just to pay your bills? You know, be a good citizen. That that seems like it's wanting. Is the point of life to retire? You know, make it towards retirement, and then just go to Florida, I guess. You know, is that is that it? Uh, Is the point in life to stay out of trouble? You know, to um, fly under the radar maybe, or or to be rich. Is the point of life to be rich? Is the point of life to be famous? Is the point of life to be important? And then you die uh, still. At the end, that's the big exclamation point. The big period at the end is that no matter what you achieve, no matter what you did in this life, you die. It's over. And that's frustrating. There's got to be more to it, right? Don't you ever get that sense? There's got to be more to this. And I think that's what Solomon is finding in his research. It's like, there's got to be more. There's got to be meaning. There's got to be purpose. Life is too fantastic. This world is too wondrous for it just to end because you take your last breath. You know, the relationships, family relationships, husband and wife relationships, friend relationships, all that seems too deep, too connected for it just to be temporary for just a little while, you know, and then you just get over it. Uh, it just seems like it just ends way too early, no matter when it happens. It's way too fast. You know, the older you get, the more you think. Life is going fast. It's way too fast. And why can't they stay little with the little kids are little? Why can't they stay this age? Why can't we stay this? Why can't we maintain a minute? Why is it going so fast? Why is it running to an end that we don't, is coming that we don't like? Everything cries out that the world is broken. Life must have meaning. Uh, there must be a reason. Why are we here? Why are we alive? Why do we procreate? Why do we have relationships? Why is all is it just to maintain something static? It just seems so empty. You know, it can't just be over one day, right? Life just ends and it's done. Now, see, all those thoughts is what brings to our mind and brings to the world's mind and brings to Solomon's mind. What's afterlife? Is there an afterlife? What happens in the afterlife? Is there an eternity? Is there a creator? Is there someone I give an account to? Is there someone that I see? Will my life matter? Will my life be judged? Will I stand before a judge? Will my life count? Is my life good? Is my life bad? What is that? All those things come in because God has written it on our heart. He's imprinted us. Uh, I remember, I think it was something we were teaching the kids, and it was talking about zebras. It's like, uh, zebras, you know, wear their pajamas all the time. And, but when a baby zebra is born, it takes a minute to imprint with its mother, you know, where its mom just stands there and is like, look at me, you know, and it's like, see these stripes, these are your mom's stripes, you know, your mom's stripes, you know, your mom and her pajamas, you know, that you, so you recognize that, so then after it has that time to imprint, the baby zebra can find his mom out of all the other zebras, and we just look at him and think, well, they're all zebras, you know, so there's an imprint on them, there's an imprint on our heart that God has made on us. He has stamped a model of some things, some basic things in our heart that we would desire them, that we would know them, that we want to flesh that out. Happy endings is one of them. We desire a happy ending. Black comedies, black stories in that way that end in tragedy. The shocking thing even is, is that our hearts are no, it's supposed to be right and it's supposed to be happy. God wants that for you. We're supposed to know that there's an eternity. We're supposed to live forever. It's supposed to get better one day. We're supposed to live and enjoy life, and, and, and it goes on. That's an imprint on our heart. Yeah, uh, Here's my Lee Strobel verse. I learned from Lee Strobel, Acts 17. I know I read it a lot, but it was just so impactful to me. I read it, and I think it was The Case for Faith. The Case for Faith. Lee Strobel is pleading with uh, an ex-minister uh, who, who traveled alongside with... Um, Billy Graham, and then turned his back on his faith. And so it's a very strong book. Acts 17. Kind of gives us some of the meaning and the point and the purpose. Acts 17 and verse 26 says, And he hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. He had determined the times and before appointment appointed the bounds of their habitation, so he decided when you would live, where you would live, how far you would travel, the bounds of your habitation. For the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. God has put us where we are, when we are, where we would find him. He's put us in the time frame in which we live. He's given you the family that you have. He's given you the town in which you live, the community, the country, all that, where you would most likely Find him, reach after him, feel him, so that you'd have this connection with him. Now look at John chapter 6. And that means he uses everything to do that. John 6 and verse 44. Gospel of John, chapter 6 and verse 44. It says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up in the last day. God draws men unto himself. He uses the Holy Spirit to do so. He draws men unto himself. If we would seek him, if happily we would feel after him and find him, God is drawing men unto himself. And as, he does it in as many different ways as there are people. Because we are all different. We are all unique. And God will use whatever it takes to draw you to him. Uh, Acts 14. Uh, he thought you were done. Acts, <laughs> Acts 14. Verse seventeen, Acts fourteen, verse seventeen says, "Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness, in that he did good, and he gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season, seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness." It says here that God uses good to demonstrate Himself. He uses rain. <clears throat> we don't always think of rain as, as a good thing, you know, unless we're in a drought and then we're praying for rain. But rain is what we need. Um, drove to Shelbyville yesterday and I noticed they must not have had the rain that we all had some of their corn was twisted you could tell it was trying to draw the humidity out of the air or our corn's open leaf because we've been getting the, getting more rain so apparently the, the pattern that we have is a little bit better than what they had and so but rain's a good thing rain is a blessing that it waters the plants it makes the garden it gives us food you know it comes it it nourishes us it gives us water in the ground keeps the water table where it's supposed to be you know and it filters it out and we have good clean water it, washes things off, it gets the dust off, and just sometimes, you know, that smell after a rain and all that, you have to smile when you're out there and see it, and the creeks are full, and you can go play in that. There's just a lot of good things that come with rain, let alone, it says, it brings the fruitful season, where you have food and you don't have to worry. It even says here that it's goodness, you know, that it's our hearts and food and our goodness with gladness. That makes you glad, it's I'm glad I have something to eat. Supper time. I'm glad. Hey, what's there. We have food. I've been glad. This last week, we've been eating a lot of fresh things. I found a, a, where a family has a must have a good garden and they've got a little food stand out in the yard and I can get three tomatoes for a dollar and I can buy a bell pepper and I can buy a few other things. We go and we cut it up and you get the cucumber and it's all fresh and out of the ground. And there's nothing like an Indiana tomato. And you eat that and it just all tastes good and we're enjoying it and makes the best BLTs. And, and we just, just enjoy that time of year. It's like, oh, fresh food and it's out of our ground and it just tastes right and there's a gladness to it. And there's something about the memories I have from growing up with that. And it just, you brings it all. And we sit and Elaine and I really enjoy a BLT that way, it's just to enjoy the meal in that way. And so it's good things. And Solomon tells us about the hard things, the frustrations in life, the injustices that make us long for justice, that make us long for peace and goodness and forever because this world was rotten to some people. And so God can use good things to draw men into himself, and God can use the bad things to make the poking nest that we talked about last week, um, to make us yearn for peace and good and rest and comfort. So God can use all kinds of things to draw people unto himself, to draw them to seek after him, to find him, though he's not far from every one of us. Last week, we talked about the frustration of work, you know, uh, the bad management <clears throat> who, and, then, and, the, and the lazy person getting promoted and then the hard workers getting passed over back in Ecclesiastes 10. Uh, matter of fact, uh, verse 6 puts it this way, Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich are set in a low place. It's like you know, the, the foolish person is given all the, all the important stuff at work, you know, and the, and the rich person or the person who should be in charge, you know, is, is the way he's thinking of it here, uh, is in the low place. They're, they're putting down. It just seems like the things that should be exalted are ignored, and the things that uh, should be passed over and even kind of reprimanded are rewarded. It's just like, oh, the frustration of that. Solomon says he, he talked about that, and there's comfort in that. There's also some depression in that, in that <laughs> because I heard so many stories last week, and I know so many stories in our family's life, and to think that it was the same thing in Solomon's day, bad news is it's not getting any better. <laughs> it's not like all of a sudden management's going to get smart, and they're going to reward the right people, and they're going to get on the, the bad people. I, yeah, it's just, it's just frustrating a little bit, but it makes me yearn for a place where it is good, where it is right, where justice is, and that's where Jesus talked... The first shall be last and the last shall be first. He'll reverse this world to what it should be. And so we're to look forward to that. And he continues with his Proverbs today. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> verse 8 and 9. So Pro- uh, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 8. He that diggeth the pit shall fall into it, and whosoever breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whosoever removeth stone shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. Um, you're like, yeah, that's clear it's proverbial because he says many of these are versions of this in his proverbs and we read these we need to read them in the context that Solomon means because I tend to read that and just think some poor guy working he's digging a hole and he falls in it maybe he's clumsy I don't know you know it's like it just seems like tragedy happens is that what he's talking about tragedy that's not the context in which Solomon is talking about because he's just left off about you know the princes are walking and the, and the fools riding on a horse. It's like it's backwards. And so he's talking about wrong things. And so these are wrong things. Uh, uh, it's wrong things. It's not just, just people working. Like uh, verse 8, uh, he diggeth a pit shall fall into it. This guy's digging a trap. You know, uh, we don't run into that much today. We have traps today. People will bait you with, uh, oh, you're. Your uh, bank account's been compromised. I need your password right now and your credit card number to make sure it's true. And they're not that at all. Matter of fact, they are scamming you to get your password now. Or they tell you that uh, they need you to buy so many iTunes cards. Uh, that happened to Brie right, this week. <laughs> so I was just, they tried to scam her that way. Betty Haig, when she was here, you know, Grandma, I need these, guys. I need so many Walmart cards, I'm in trouble at the bank. And she goes and gets them and then gets fooled out all this money. It's like, there's a lot of scams and traps that are running out there. And so you have to watch out and, and be careful for that. This here he's talking about a literal hole. You know, they're digging a hole. They cover it over something. Someone walks along and falls in it. And then they rob them or murder them or, or do whatever. Some some kind of evil thing that they're uh, planning to do. Think of like you know, how they would catch an animal in that way. And so and the other one he's talking about breaking up a hedge and letting a snake get through. So maybe it's like a safety hedge around someone's house. And this guy's like, I'll show them. I'll break it up. You know, then he's the one who ends up getting uh, bit by a snake. Uh, verse 9 talks about moving stones. Again, that's probably... Some nefarious purpose, you know, if he's stacking them up where they'll fall on somebody or he's doing something, something mean with these rocks, to uh, cut in a tree which wedged just enough that the wind blows down, maybe to fall on his house. And they've got some kind of trap or even like a deadfall trap that you build that way. That this person is planning some kind of harm on people. And Solomon says, well, oftentimes this comes back to bite these people. The advice here is the same principle that's taught to us in the New Testament. Uh, if you hold your spot here in Ecclesiastes and turn to Galatians 6. Galatians six, just before Ephesians, the last chapter. Galatians chapter six, verse seven. It says, "Be not deceived; God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap." Galatians six eight. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, and he that soweth of the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Um, It's an interesting uh, point that uh, Solomon is bringing up here, that sometimes life happens they dig a pit and they fall in it. You know, sometimes it happens that way. Sometimes, what Galatians is warning us about is that how you live your life, you were going to be judged by, and we'll come back to that a little bit later, but uh, the example I think of of digging a pit and falling into it that I saw most often in my life was Gilligan, Uh, Gilligan would always dig a pit, set a trap, he fell into it every time, you know, the cage would come down on him, he'd fall in the water, him and (laughs) Skipper, you know, it was like that was every episode, right, it was just new trap, new place, it would happen in that way. And so we have Gilligans in the Bible too, Haman is a Gilligan, Uh, in the story of Esther, remember he's plotting against the Jews, he's wanting to have them all killed, he hated them, he wanted them wiped out. And finally, you know, because of Esther's bravery and uh, such a time as this speech from her uncle Mordecai and all, uh, that they make a law that the Jews are able to revolt and rise up. And Haman is hung on the very gallows that he had built for the execution of the Jews. It's Gilligan, right? He falls into his own trap. It comes against him. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, two weeks ago, on Wednesday night, we were talking about Daniel. Uh, And Daniel had some Gilligans in his story where they laid a trap. King, you know, you are a good and wonderful king. Let's make a decree that no one can ask anybody anything except for you. Knowing that Daniel was going to go get in his window and pray and ask requests of God. Lord, thank you. Lord, move and work. Lord, help and and all these things. And so they throw him in the lion's den, right? It's the big trap that they have. It's what what the method of execution that they had. And so um, by the law and by the decree, they throw Daniel into the lion's den. But angels show up, hold their mouth Daniel even says, I didn't even have to fight him. That makes me kind of think more. I even thought about it after that week's lesson. I thought, it must have been Daniel's plan. Lord, make me like Samson. Help me to be able to use what I find down there. There's a jawbone of a man maybe or this, that, and be able to fight and slay these lions. And God's like, no, I need those lions. These Gilligans are going to be down in here and they're going to fall into their own trap. So Daniel escapes. Angels held their mouths. And they throw in 120 of these princes and their wives. And their kids. And it says that these lions tore them to pieces and broke all their bones. They were caught in their own trap. The trap that they had laid for Daniel turns around and bites them. They're, they're the Gilligan. And so that's what Solomon's worrying about. There's a story from the time of Henry IV. Uh, Henry IV, you he had Pope Hildebrand, being the good Christian man that he is, he hired a man to put a boulder into the rafters of a church where the king liked to come and pray so that the boulder would fall off and smash him while he was there, you know, like popes do. And uh, so his plan was to do that. So this guy's like, takes the money. Okay, sounds like a good plan. And so he's up there in the rafters with this big boulder. And as he's setting it on the rafter, it falls, takes him with it. He rotates to the bottom of the boulder, and it smashes him there. So literally fulfilling this verse, the guy who takes the rock is killed by the rock and, and does that. And so horrible story, but it proves this point. You know, uh, some of these guys, you're laying these nasty traps, it turns around and bites them in the end. Uh, and so Jesus warns us about this. Look at Matthew 26. We must be dense enough that we have to be worried about this in multiple places because uh, it must be the tendency of mankind to go this way. Matthew 26. Verse uh, let me back up just a little bit. So verse um, 49. Matthew 26, 49, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's praying. Judas has come. He's now kissed him. So, uh, verse forty-nine, and forthwith uh, came to Jesus and said, "Hail, Master!" and kissed him. Verse fifty. And Jesus said unto him, "Friend, wherefore art thou come?" And and they uh, then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And behold, one of them which were with Jesus, we know it's Peter from another account, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and he struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again the sword into the place. For all they that take up the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But now, <clears throat> then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled, thus it must be. Uh, but verse 52, he says, you, know, you take up the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Don't you know, Peter, if you go swinging a sword around, you're going to die by a sword? You're going to reap what you sow? But if you go stabbing people with a sword, people are going to stab you with a sword? Um, we see that in our day and age, right? Bank robbers go in with a gun. School shooters go in with guns, right? Shoot innocent people because they're brave, courageous people that way. Shoot innocent people who are unarmed. They're cowards. How do most of those people die? Shot with a gun, right? It's like, how many of them get by with it? Uh, None. You know, they either die that day or they catch them and execute them later, but you know, they don't get by with it. And so they're out there wheeling a gun and shooting around and they come and they get killed by a gun. They reap what they sow. They live by the sword, they die by the sword. That's what Jesus is talking about. Hey, you go swing a sword around, people are going to swing a sword at you. And so you need to watch it. So it's, it's advice to us. It's a cautionary advice. Don't be like that. It won't end well for you. We have the examples in the Bible. We have the examples in the world that we can see. If you go pulling a gun, you're going to die by a sword. You know, and so he's giving us this warning. Um, murderers get killed, you know, and and there's, scammers get scammed, I'd like to think, you know, that all those are out there, that they get scammed, robbers get robbed, you know, they get to it quickly, it goes quickly, there's a little bit of comfort in that, knowing that whatever they did is going to come back to them, but it doesn't give you your money back, or you don't get their life back in that way, so, but mostly this verse means don't do it. Don't live a life like that. Don't plan on trapping people. Don't plan on taking it. Don't be the quick buck guy. Um, don't set a trap for people and be um, get ill gotten gains in that way. Don't try to think of a way to scam and to steal from people. Live an honest life. Do the do the just thing. You know, don't plan evil for others. Work hard. Have an honest job. You know, earn your money. Don't think of a way to scam people from their money by a phone or an innocent thing. I mean, it's just shocking sometimes. You know how they would. Prey on innocent people and prey on what's going on by building up a false pretense to just take their money away. It's just here's the surprise that usually comes out of my mouth. Why don't they work that hard at their job? Why would they work so hard creating this scam and doing these things and putting the skimmer on the pump and water Why don't they just apply themselves, invent something new, do something? Obviously they've got some intelligence, you know, they plan these big things. Why don't they use something for good? Why is it always for evil? And that's Solomon's encouragement here. It's like, man, don't be evil. Because chances are you're going to die young. If you're living in that kind of a dicey area, you're going to die young. But as with a lot of Solomon's Proverbs, as we turn back there, there are verses that are around these Proverbs that just seem random. And you're like, that's a random one, okay. And you're like, apparently I I don't get what he's saying. We have that here. And then after spending some time thinking on it, I think I see where it fits. Verse 10 is one of those random ones. It says, uh, if the iron be blunt... He do not wet the edge, then must he put more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. There, that clearly applies. No, it really does. When we take some time to think about it, he just says it in an awkward way for us. Um, Matter of fact, this past week, I had conversations about this exact thing that this text is talking about this week. Last night, it was even said to me, uh, that I was doing the very thing that I was talking about earlier. And uh, so, yeah, it comes up more than we think. And so, let's look at it again. Verse 10. If the iron be blunt, and he do not wet the edge, then must he put forth more strength. But wisdom is profitable to direct. He's talking about chopping down a tree. And he's saying if you've got a dull axe, you've got a blunt instrument, you can chop a tree down with it, but you're going to have to work out long and hard. You know, that axe isn't going to cut in very good. It's going to bounce off some. You're going to have to put a lot of strength. You're going to have to hit it harder. You're going to have to hit it more often. You're really going to have to work at chopping down that tree. I, I watch, I like bushcraft shows. Uh, there's YouTube videos. There's a TV show called Alone. There's a few other like, survivor type things you know, where people go out hey, we throw these people in the woods with a pocket knife. Good luck, you know. And then they had to build a house, and they had to find food, and they had to do all this. And and one of them had a challenge. It was a specific bushcraft challenge. These people had skill sets. They had to build houses and this, that, and the other thing. And so one of the challenges was they had to cut down this tree. It was just a little one-on-one competition. You two, you go, go cut down a tree. And so um, and they were giving nothing, you know. So they go around and they <clears throat> they had the tree that they had to cut down. So they both found rocks. One found a rock that kind of had an axe shape to it, and so he gets it and he's like, look at, it. I think this is good. And he picks it up and he's over there, you know, way laying on this tree. And the other guy's looking around. And he he took a little more time, and he found a rock that he really, really liked, and then he looked at that rock for a long time, and this other guy's, you know, getting bark to fly off this other tree, and he picked up another rock, and he began to knock on this rock, and he, you know, um, napped it down, and to a good edge, he had a nice sharp edge on it. You're thinking, the other guy's halfway through the tree, like, there's no way. Twelve chops, twelve blows with this thing, the guy cut right through the tree, wins the competition. It's like because he took some little time and, and the, at the beginning to make his instrument sharper so they had to put less work into it at the end and chop down the tree. That's what Solomon's talking about here. You know, that uh, let's, let's put a little more thought into it. Uh, let's make some things sharp instead of just running hard into things you know, time and time again. And so um, what's this have to do with verses 8 and 9? Uh, the pit diggers, the hedge breakers, uh, the trap setters are looking for quick money. They are short-sighted. They want it, and they want it now. Hey, that guy worked hard. He has some money. Let's rob him. Okay, I'll dig a pit. You know, and so they're thinking that they can get a lot of money real fast with a little effort. All we have to do is dig a hole. That guy you know, invented something and sold it, or whatever it is, and they, they want to rob him. So Solomon is saying here that uh, we need to believe and consider that there's an eternity. You also need to believe and consider that, as I have observed, people who live this lifestyle, they die quickly, and they usually die by the same thing that they are doing. So Psalm is saying, let's pick a different area of expertise. Instead of robbing people, cheating people, killing people, uh, let's take some time and sit down and plan in advance. Instead of just going hard at it and saying, I just want money, let's think of a way to make money. It might take you a little forethought. Maybe you have to go to school. Maybe you have to take some further education. And then you can make more money at the end versus robbing somebody or doing whatever else. And so he's, he's saying that, let's take some time and sharpen that axe before you go out and do some things. Not just running into it. There's people like, I don't want to work hard. I'm just going to take it from people who do work hard. Solomon's saying, that's not a good life. It's going to end in destruction. It's going to be a hard life. They are going to reap what they sow. They are wicked. They steal. They rob. They kill. They take. They are being evil. And so he is giving us this warning. Be smart and plan ahead because the evil is going to be judged. The police are going to come down on you. Your life is not going to be evil. You need to make sure you're living right. And so he is warning against this. Uh, the conversation I had this week was about how I mess over future Brian all the time. Uh, I'll stay up late tonight future Brian I have to get up early <laughs> uh, that happened last night uh, so, so I stayed up late I had to get up early today it's like you know I can take out the trash tonight you know because my trash comes tomorrow morning you know I normally do it tomorrow morning I leave it for future Brian he can get that before he goes to work I want to go to bed now and eat a bowl of cereal and so I go to bed now and in the morning I'm like ah I forgot to I gotta take trash out so now I'm rushing around I'm having to do all those things I forgot to do You know, when future Brian does his taxes, he does them April 14th, you know, because they're not due to April 15th, and Brian right now is like, I'll do that later, let future Brian do it, you know, and so last minute stuff, I put it all off, put it all that way, and so last night, yeah, we were cleaning up the bus, we were getting ready for some stuff, and I had uh, some things in the way, so I just threw them all to the edge, and Levi's like, well, future Brian's going to have to deal with that, he? I'm like, yep, (laughs) so I didn't want to deal with it right then, I wanted to leave, you know, so I left that for future Brian's to, to deal with, and so... Uh, man, we need to, we're going to reap what we sow, we need to plan ahead, we need to think ahead, and it is telling us here, let's let's plan a little bit more, let's not just leave it all to future Brian, to deal with, it. let's think, of, think about it in advance. This guy here, he takes some time and he says, I'm going to wet the edge, that means he's going to sharpen his axe so that his work with the tree is easier, that the axe cuts well, he lets the axe do the work, he's not having to bring more, more strength and brute force to it and being exhausted. He's going to take some time. He's going to apply some, you know, t- put the hone to it, make it sharp. He's going to swing and let the ax do as it's designed to do. He's planning forethought, working ahead, using the mechanical advantage to his advantage and get it done to make easier work because he's planned and he's thought ahead. And so we need to realize we're going to reap what we sow, that we need to delay on our instant gratification knowing that if we think and plan ahead, things will be better. If we work a- we work for the future; it's going to be better. Uh, want a bunch of money now? A lot of people do. They steal. They rob banks. They kill. They, they, they rob for it. They, they, they take it somehow. Or you can work for it. You can plan ahead. You can get education. You, you can strive, plan, think, work hard, put it out there. No trouble. No judgment to come. People, as a matter of fact, you get accolades of the community. That's what he's telling us here. Don't be doing the fast, quick thing because that ends in a fast, quick life. Let's plan ahead. Let's let's work smarter. Matter of fact, sometimes work smarter rather than harder, verse 10 says. Learn, think before you dive in. If you plan ahead, it's going to be, especially like the tree tree chopper here, he planned ahead, and before he began, it saved him time and effort. If you plan ahead, a lot of your ventures, it'll save you money, it'll save you time, it'll save you energy, it'll save you frustration, It'll save you grief because you've planned things out. You've thought of these things. Now, you need to take action at some point in time. It can't all be planning. That's, I'm saying that for my wife. Okay, Brian. Quit planning everything. Let's actually get some things done. You know, but, so you do have to plan and think and get ahead. And then we have the plan. We have a purpose. You're all on the same page. You can get things done. But then you also have to take that action. Now, let's go back to Galatians 6. Because Solomon's whole part here is summarized, and we get the fuller meaning of it in the Galatians 6 passage. Galatians 6 and verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Um, sowing and reaping. That's a principle throughout the Bible. So, that's what Solomon's talking about. The guy who digs a pit, he's going to fall in a pit. The guy who drops the tree to fall on somebody, it's going to fall on him. He's going to reap what he sows. The life that he's lived is going to come back on him. How you live will be judged. <clears throat> Solomon is beginning to acknowledge that in Ecclesiastes. Here in Galatians, it's flat out. They're telling you how you reap, you how you live your life will be how you are judged. If you live an evil, crooked, and take shortcuts in life, you're going to be held accountable to that. God sees it all. He knows what you do. And you might, he's not just looking at the end. He's like, well, you have a nice house and a nice car. I guess you deserve to go to heaven. No. He's going to say, you robbed, stealed, cheated, you, know, you lied, you did all these things. He goes, you're held, held accountable for those things. Um, this is how God's going to judge you, what you did and what, how you're going to suffer by, how you did, how you lived, how you treated other people. God counts it all. Verse 8, for he that soweth to his flesh shall his flesh reap corruption. You know, if you live for the flesh and satisfy your flesh and do it for your flesh, the flesh goes to hell. You know, we're not to live for the flesh. We're to live for the spirit that God has put within us and pleasing him. But he that soweth to the spirit shall the spirit reap life everlasting. Everlasting life will come. That's the reward for good choices. That are made, investing in eternity, thinking here and now, delaying gratification, and living a life that is just, living a life that is good, a hard working life, a life where you plan ahead, a life where we plan for eternity by serving the Lord here and now, by doing those things that are pleasing unto Him. Um, the world seems like it's ahead of us, right? They seem like they have it all. They're having it all and they're living it all. And boy, we just want a taste of that too. Satan preys on that he's saying, be smart, don't fall into that trap. Do not be short-sighted because Satan will make you be tempted to go that way. And it's going to put us into financial trouble. It's going to put us into spiritual trouble. It's going to put us into places where we do not want to be because the TV is putting everything in front of us, or the internet now, or your cell phone. It's putting all this in front of you saying, this is what you want. Other people have it They're enjoying it. You do it too. He's saying, let's live by my dictates, by my standard. Let's not always satisfy the flesh. Let's satisfy me. But it is a temptation, and it creeps into the church. It creeps into the church bad. It creeped into our city. It creeped into our city Friday night, and it was here. Joel Osteen was in town Friday night. Packed house. His ministry is opposite what Solomon is talking about. His ministry is opposite what Paul talks about, what Jesus talked about, what he preached about. His bestseller was Your Best Life Now. Jesus doesn't want you to have your best life now. He wants you to have your best life in eternity. He wants you to live forever where he's re- you're rewarded for it. To not be so short-sighted that you live for this earth only. He wants you to live for eternity. And that means by taking people with us, by not being short-sighted, by living a life where we reach the lost, pray for the lost, encourage the lost, witness to the lost, to try to get them there. Does that mean you die to yourself in time? Yes, you die to yourself. You give your money. You give your time and your expense. We pray for missionaries. We, we pray for missionaries. We do in all these things we're not worried about here and now having the best parking spot and the best house and the best car and all that because we're worried about spending eternity with him well he'll reward us for that spiritually as he says there and galatians 6 look at verse 9 it says he will let us be and let us not be weary and well doing Because he knows it's going to be hard because Satan has ever put it before to saying, take the shortcut, take satisfaction now. You know, rob future, Brian, of what he could have by doing what you want here and now. Satisfy your flesh. He says, for in due season, we will reap he says, God will reward you. God will pay off. The payday is coming. And it might seem like it's forever away now. It's never going to come. And I don't know, is eternity real and all this? But he has all this to show us that eternity is real. You will give an account. Your life does matter. What you do does matter as being watched by God. And so you need to watch how you live. That's what Solomon is saying. Watch how you live. You know, take some forethought. Be the guy sharpening the axe so that it's little work, it's better work, it's profitable work, and, and it pays off in the end. He says there because um in due season we shall reap if we faint not if we faint not that means it's you're going to be you're going to tend to want to quit you're going to tend to say it's never coming you know the rapture hasn't happened it's never going to be here i haven't died yet or whatever however we you think you're going to get there you know that the, the end is not come. it's never going to be and i don't know let's just give in a little bit and live like the world he's saying no don't faint keep running persevere uh, countless times in the scripture Do not faint. Keep pressing towards the mark. Press towards the prize. Run. Do not give up. There's a lot of people that start out and they give up. He's saying, don't give up. Keep living. Keep at it. Keep by the stuff. Know that God sees. Know that God will reward. That you will reap what you sow. Are we we reaping for him? Are we reaping for us? Are we reaping for uh, the God's kingdom? Are we reaping for ourselves? Don't be short-sighted. He doesn't want us to. We need to sharpen our axe. We need to take some time and plan ahead. Live a life that is planned. There's a new concept. Have a planned life. You know, have a life where you're saying, Our family will serve the Lord. I will serve the Lord. I will put myself in the best position where I could serve the Lord. I will be able to help others. We'll be able to help Him. Pray for that. Lord, help me to see others in need. Help me to see a place where I can intercede in a Lord, then give me the money where I could do that. And I'll have this money set aside, and then it won't be like Ananias and Sapphira. It's like, well, I'll give him half of it. It's like, no, let's, let's, let's say, Lord, if you would give me this, then help, give, show me the ministry where I could do that or how I can help someone, and then step up to the plate and do it, you know, to, to do, live for the Lord, planning ahead. Don't be short-sighted with living just under the sun. That's short-sighted living because you're going to have to stand before God. That's what Psalm is saying. He goes, these people think that here and now is all that there is. We need to realize and start sharpening that act, thinking there is an eternity. Am I living a life that's pleasing unto him? Am I planning my life to live unto Him? Am I sending my treasure ahead? Jesus talks about, you know, and and Paul talks about, and others talk about sending our treasure ahead. Because we need to realize we're going to stand before God. Do we live our life as if we were going to stand before God and give an account unto Him? Because we will. And that will change how we move and how we act and how we live. And that's what Solomon is worrying about. That's what Jesus warns about. And He's also trying to help us avoid calamity in our life. Don't do stupid things, you know, and don't do evil things. Are we prepared? He's basically saying, "Turn on your eternal vision. Realize that we are living in light of eternity, and that does change how we act and how we behave here on the Earth. Solomon is in this section of Ecclesiastes where he's saying, "Life is too frustrating. Those guys don't get by with it, and that makes their life short. We're going to have to stand in front of God. We need to plan ahead. Sharpen our acts. Let's work smart. Let's work right. Let's work honest. Let's work for Him. Because honoring God's where it matters. We know the conclusion of the matter, right? That's our memory verse. So we need to please God and live by his dictates. And so we need to know that. Jesus warns that, Paul warns that here, you're going to reap what you sow. How are we reaping? How are we living our life? We're not going to fool God in the end and say, ah, I did it this way. He's like, I'm going to look at your life and how you live. It's not good works that get us there. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ that gets us there. It's the rewards that he's talking about here. He wants to reward us. And he says, Don't faint. Don't give up. Don't give in, even though it seems like it might be a long way away. Continue keeping on. Keep keeping on. Sometimes that takes supernatural help. Yeah. Sometimes that takes long-range vision. I don't want to get up today. I'm tired. I don't want to do that today. Lord wants me to. I'm doing it for him, not for me. I'm doing this in light of eternity. I'm going to help future Brian for once. I'm going to get up. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to study. I'm going to do those things. I'm going to open my mouth. I'm going to put myself in that awkward situation to to reach out with the gospel of Christ for them. I'm going to be bold in that way because it's going to help not only me, it's going to help them if I give them the gospel. And so Jesus is trying to encourage that. Solomon is turning his thoughts to that as he thinks about eternity, that live this life honestly, live this life smart, live this life in the light of eternity. And so that's what he's asked us here today. I hope you're planning for eternity and living that way.